The friend said about one o'clock in the morning, he said, let me show you irritation. So at one o'clock in the morning, he dials a random number, writes it down, and he says, hi, may I speak with Jones? And a voice irritated said, there's no Jones that lives here, I'm sorry, and hung up the phone. One hour later, they're still talking, he says, now I'm going to show you anger. And so he dials the same number and says, hi, may I speak with Jones? And this time, an angry voice replied, I told you there's no Jones that lives here, and slammed the phone down. An hour later, they were talking, 3 o'clock in the morning. He said to his friends, now let me show you rage. And he goes, and he dials the same number, and he says, hi, this is Jones. Have I gotten any calls? So sometimes we all have dealt with things that vary from irritation to rage to anger. And the Bible has a lot to say to us about anger. Look at this passage from James chapter 1 and verse 19, and then we're going to pray. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Circle that, slow to get angry. For human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Let's read that last sentence again. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to teach us how to properly use anger. Lord, teach us what anger was like before we fell in our sins. And teach us tonight, Lord, how to be healed and how to invite your help into delivering us, Lord, because we live in a culture that's actually, Lord, I believe, incubating anger causing us to be more angry than normal. So we're asking for your help and your guidance tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, friends, if you haven't already, would you go to um, uh, and go ahead and share your tithes or give your missions offerings, or if you're participating in the lighting offering that we've raised to help us with our Facebook and YouTube presentations, would you go ahead and be sure and give tonight? I'll mention that again in a few minutes. You can do it online at woodland.church. You can use our church app. I, you know, it's for me, I use the church app in, in about five seconds I've given. So, or you can text to give and um, any numbers of ways that you can give. And I would appreciate, but one other thing that is so important I believe this message is so important tonight. I really want you to like it. Just click that button that says you like, and then share this on your Facebook page because there are other people that I'm convinced need to hear this. Let me just give you some background to this. Hi, um, when I was, before I ever moved to Michigan, and that was 22 years ago, one of my mentors, um, we had breakfast. I, I just called him one day. I hadn't seen him in years, and he had been a powerful influence in my life. Uh, he was a university football coach. He was a great guy. And over our breakfast that morning, he began to tell me about something that happened in the interlude since we'd last seen each other that had made him so angry. And as he talked, his face turned scarlet. He began to shake. He's a, he's a massive, muscular man, good man but just consumed with anger. And, and I told him, I said, I'm worried about you. This is not like you. But he had been hurt very deeply, and his hurt had turned to anger. Well, before I moved up here, he came to my office. I was at that time uh, coordinating the ministries of, of the state of Georgia for our, the, our denomination and doing leadership development. And he came to see me and and by this time, we were more peers. He, you know, I had earned his respect and uh, 
he sat and he was talking with me, and so I asked him about this issue, how is it dealing? And it was like popping a cork, and all of a sudden he got so angry. And I will never forget the words of a man who helped shape me as a Christian, and you know, I'm fighting tears even telling you this. When he said to me, I'll never forgive him. And through the years, I've watched his health collapse. I've watched so many things happen negatively in his life. And I just want you to know, anger can get a foothold in your life. Anger can control you. Anger can destroy you. It's the reason the Bible tells us that human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. First thing we have to recognize is anger possesses dangerous power. Anger possesses dangerous power. A few years ago, and um, I can share this story now, but a few years ago, there were a couple of brothers in our church got angry with each other, brothers in Christ, not physical brothers. They got angry with each other. And I was at meal, a meal with friends in uh, one of the adjoining cities, and one of them called me and told me what he was going to do. And I stepped away from the table to, to take the call and um, and I said, please don't do that. You know if you do that, the repercussions, what's going to happen. But he was so furious. And finally, I, you know, I said, told him, I said, look, I love you. But you need to understand, if you do this, this is going to be the domino effect of what you do. And then I'm going to have to publicly discipline you because you're a member of Woodland Church. And being a member, there's certain freedoms and liberties we give up. We can't act like jerks, for instance. And though sometimes we do. And... He finally settled down, and boy, we had a long talk later, and he told me, he said, you know, I nearly blew it. I could repeat that conversation between Christians multiple times, many times. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm even sad to share that with you tonight. I could repeat that conversation that happens between Christian brothers and sisters so many times, and it's because we failed to recognize the effects of anger. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 tonight. Don't let sin, excuse me, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if I'm slurring my words a little bit tonight, will you forgive me? I had about two hours of sleep last night, and I've only had two cups of coffee today. So if you know me, that's not good. That's not a good combination whatsoever. But notice again, don't sin by letting anger control you. You might want to write this out to the side of your notes. Anger can control you. Anger can get a hold on your life because anger feeds anger. Anger feeds, if you want to know what the fertilizer to anger is, it's not the cause that you're concerned about. It's not even the issue that you're concerned about. Anger feeds anger. Anger has to have anger as fuel to continue to grow. Finally, then it says, don't let the sun go down while you are still anger, angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, imagine that none of us, none of us in this room tonight, none of us that are listening this evening, even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't want the devil to have a foothold into your life. You don't want the devil to have that kind of control in your life because once he has a foothold in his life, your life, he's not just content with that foothold. He's going to try, if you'll let me use a military phrase, he's going to try and take more ground. He's going to try and take more freedom away from you. So here's the dangerous power of anger. According to the scriptures, number one, anger is dangerous to your body. Anger is worse for your body than worry. 
Anger is worse for your body than anxiety. You think about a lot of things that we've talked about in this series on healing. Anger will destroy your heart. Anger is harder on your heart than a lack of exercise. Anger is harder on your heart than a poor diet. Anger will rot your bones. It will cause your bones to weaken. Sometimes when I'm praying with people, and I don't mean to go woo-woo right here, but sometimes when I'm praying with people, there'll just be this, this thought, I really need, I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, and you know, they either tell me I'm right or I'm wrong, but I'll say, are you angry about something? And I can't tell you how many times people will break down and start crying. And please don't use that as a manipulative way to pray with people. Don't do that unless you really know the Holy Spirit's brought that to your mind. But they'll begin to cry and, and I'll say, they'll say yes because anger can hold back the healing that you need in your body. Anger has the power to destroy your family. Haven't we seen that, especially during the last political year and COVID? Entire families split over Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I can't believe that. I mean, I love my family, and I can't imagine letting any politician divide me from my family. I can't imagine any reason that anything could divide me from my parents, my, my, my siblings, or anything of that nature. Look at this. The Bible says an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. Why do they do that? Because there's unforgiveness in their heart. You know, the more you nurture unforgiveness, the more anger begins to grow in you. And anger produces an inability for us to, to let go of our bitterness that we have in our life. You know, I just recently prayed with someone who has a problem with their hand and just being able to let go. And so as we've been praying for their hand to be healed and to recover so they could let go of things because once it's clenched, it's, you know, there's a, there's a problem they're having. And by the way, God is touching and healing them. They show me every week more progress that they're making. But anger can also destroy your relationship with God. And I think this is the most fearsome thing in this little list that I put together for you tonight. Because anger will give the devil a foothold in your life, and human anger never accomplishes the plan of God or the will of God. Anger hinders your prayers. Guys, this is really, I feel like, directed at you and me tonight. And, but I think it applies equally to wives in marriage. But in the context, uh, the Apostle Peter is writing about women being the weaker sex. He, I, he, he's talking about weaker physically. He said, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And to go around angry at our wife or angry at our children or if I'm angry at the church or if I'm angry at the staff, if I walk around with that anger in my heart, then I'm hindering the whole work of God. So it's very important that we learn that. And today, a blog post that I read real quickly by a, a couple that write about marriage, I've recommended their books numbers of time here, uh, Les and Leslie Parrott. In their blog post today, they happen to write about anger in marriage. And so just real quickly, you might want to jot these down. They said, when you're angry, slow down because anger is quick to run away with you. Secondly, when you're angry, question your emotional reactions because when you're angry, your reactions are very visceral. So it's good to question why you're angry. The third thing they said when you're angry is think before you speak. Think before you speak. When you're angry, harsh words, unkind words come more quickly. Unlike my mentor that I opened up this message with, my brother in Christ here at the church, once he repented, 
He came to me and said, I can't even believe I said the things that I said. I can't even believe I felt like doing the things that I felt like doing. I'm going to tell you something. When you're angry and you're, 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 it's, it's better to be quiet. Now, I know. Now, listen. I know. I wasn't born last night. I know that for years people have said you need to vent your anger. That's not what the Bible says. You know, let your children kick the furniture. Let your children do this. I'm going to tell you, children that are allowed to kick furniture and to kick pets will end up kicking their spouse, kicking their children. They'll end up destroying their lives. We have to learn how to control them. And we'll get to that tonight and maybe some more next week as well. And the, third, the fourth thing that he said that we should do is think about the future. Where do you want your relationship? Where do you want your marriage to be in the future? And then finally, they said, empathize with your spouse. Just empathize with your wife if you're a man. Empathize with your husband if you're a woman. You know, what is it that's going on in their life that you're having conflict over? And I, and I just thought, you know, that was just too timely since I'd already written the message for tonight that not to be able to share with you when that showed up in my email box tonight. Anger also hinders our decision-making ability. You know, early on in ministry, I was taught never make a decision when you're angry, never make a decision when you're worried, and never make a decision when you're afraid. I would add one more to that. Never make a decision when somebody's trying to rush you. Okay? If you, if you live long enough, you get enough experience in what you're doing, you'll know what to do in an emergency. You'll know how to respond, just like a pilot or just like a doctor does. You'll learn how to respond, but don't let other people rush you. Because when you're angry, your mind is cloudy. There are times when I'm angry for good reason. I just have to walk away, calm down, and... and um, sometimes I may wait a day or two before I deal with what's made me angry. Let me rephrase that. I will wait a day or two before I deal with what I'm angry about. I make the choice to get angry before I deal with what I'm angry about so that I have time to rationally think it through, to pray it through. What does the Bible say? And then when I approach it, then I can approach it hopefully the way God approaches things that have to be handled in anger. We'll get to that ahead as well. But then here's what really worries me, and I think it's happening in our nation. And I'm not a prophet, but I really believe this is happening in our nation. It's become an addiction. It's become an addiction. This week, when I, I, my wife and I were on a trip this weekend, and when I got back in, I made a call for somebody that I've been praying for on Labor Day. I just called them, and they just unloaded. Now, with what it was that has made them angry, not, not with me, not with our church, but something that's going on. And I listened to this person use language I'd never heard them use before. And I couldn't help it. I started laughing. And because this person is a, they're a, they're a saint in my book, but all of a sudden they were, and finally I said, you know, I would never record you, but I wish I had recorded you so you could hear some of the words you just used. And they go, Oh my gosh, Pastor, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I understand. Sometimes we get angry, but understand this. If we feed that anger, it becomes an addiction. Dallas Willard, that I quote a lot here at the church, Dallas Willard said, to cut off the root of anger is to wither the tree of human evil. Now just think about that for a moment. And I know it's bad to pause on Facebook, but just think about that for a moment. To cut off the root of anger is to wither the tree of human evil. 
That's a powerful statement. So we need God to heal us. And if we can learn how to deal with that, we'll keep from blowing things up in our life. Now, before I moved up here a number of years ago, and I used this, I shared this story many years ago. I've shared this story before. A man in Arizona, a man in Arizona had cockroaches in his apartment and he got tired the 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 exterminator wasn't killing the cockroaches he got tired of all the cockroaches in his house so he bought 25 bombs and set them all off at one time in his house the cockroach bombs i didn't even know there was such a thing until i read this story well when the bombs gas reached the pilot light of his stove it blew out the windows of his apartment it caused 10 this is in 1995 it caused 10,000 dollars damage to his apartment now here's the kicker the guy said at the end of the article, he says, after all of that, he said, I really wanted to kill those cockroaches. By Sunday, they were crawling around again. So, forgive my pun, it never pays to vent your anger, okay? It just never pays to do that because anger becomes addictive and it's a destructive thing in our life. Number two, anger, though, possesses positive power. And that's really what I want to focus on for just a few minutes tonight. Be angry, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. There are certain things that should make us angry. Now, last week I posted this verse of Scripture, got a lot of comments on this verse of Scripture, and I prayed this verse of Scripture over quite a few people. But it's important because when I see it in a promise box, they never put the whole verse. So let's look at the whole verse together. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Oh man, I love the compassion. I love the mercy. I love the love, the unfailing love and faithfulness. But don't miss that little part there. Our perfect God is slow to anger. Anger has some very positive qualities. Becky Pippert wrote these words, and I think they're very wise. Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. As a pastor, too often I see this happen. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. The more a father loves his son, the more angry he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. If I, a flawed, self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. Now that, this is another reason you need to download the app so you can get all the quotes and the scriptures. That's a powerful thought right there. You see, the opposite of love is not indifference. So how do you positively handle anger? Well, I gave you three examples because of the lack of time. I can't go into all of them, but how Jesus dealt in anger. He dealt in anger with those that were trying to use religion to rip off God's people. And he said, my house shall not be called, you know, a, a, you know, a house of iniquity, a house of thieves, a den of thieves. But he said it will be a house of prayer. He was angry at sin. He was angry at death when he raised Lazarus. So I think there's some good examples for you to reflect upon. N.T. Wright, a British theologian that I respect, listen to what he wrote. 
The biblical doctrine of God's wrath is rooted in the doctrine of God as the good, wise, and loving creator who hates, yes, hates, and hates implacably anything that spoils, defaces, distorts, or damages his beautiful creation, and in particular, anything that does that to his image-bearing creatures. That's you and me. Now, when people tell me, oh, I don't like to read the Old Testament because that's an angry, wrathful God. I love to read the New Testament because it's a loving Jesus. I point them to what, how Jesus handled his anger. Jesus' anger at men that would not forgive a woman. They wanted to stone her when she was caught in adultery. He looked at them with anger. He knew they were using religion to condemn rather than to save. And the reason God gets angry is because of what has happened to the creation that he created for us as our home, but what it does to us. See, I love my children. Anger will cause me to defend my family. I love this church. I'm jealous for this church. I'm jealous for my wife. Notice I didn't say I'm jealous of my wife. I trust my wife. Notice I didn't say I'm jealous of this church or our board or anything like that. I love our church. I love our board. But I am jealous of my wife. I am jealous of my children. I'm jealous of this church, which means if you attack this church or you attack my family, I'm willing to die to defend them. That's key to understanding the difference between the positive power of anger and indifference that doesn't do anything. But it's also key to understand that Satan wants us either to deny or to dwell on what makes us angry. So that's the third thing I want you to see. He wants us to deny or to dwell on what makes us angry. Now, <clears throat> early on in my ministry, and I'm really ashamed. I won't tell you other people's faults. I'll tell you mine. And um, I told someone today, I even want my enemies' names to be safe in my mouth. But early on in my ministry, I would find sometimes that when I was preaching, <clears throat> I would get angry. And the more I preached about a certain sin, like abortion, you know, unless it was to save a woman's life, uh, the more I would preach about a certain sin, like child abuse, I would find myself getting angrier and angrier. And people would come to me and say, oh, there was such passion. I could just feel your anger. But something inside didn't feel right. I was being convicted. And I remember asking my wife to pray with me. I said, I don't want to be an angry preacher. I want to preach the good news the way that Jesus preached the good news. And I want to be like Paul who said, you know, when he speaks, he wants to speak a word that builds up or an encouraging word. And these were, this was years ago before we ever had our children, but I could see what was happening. I went to counseling. I mean, I sought out a counselor. I went to counseling. I said, help me deal with these things. And the first thing the counselor says is don't deny what makes you angry. There are things in life that should make you angry. And I will never forget what my counselor said to me. Said to me, when you are forthright and flat-footed, you are your most true self. But that is not an excuse to dwell on that anger and feed that anger. How would Jesus address that? And so it's important that we understand we recognize what makes us angry. We don't deny it, but we don't dwell on it. I'm telling you, if I preached on everything in society that makes me angry, in six months we'd all be splitting our, cutting our wrists. Really, think about that. I mean, there's a lot of things that 
I could just preach about every Sunday and people would go, oh, aren't you glad we came to church and got angry today? <laughs> no, that is not how we do life. Look at Job 21, verse 25. Some people die bitter and bereft, never getting a taste of happiness. My friend, my mentor, I remember when he was a happy person. I remember when he put his hand on my shoulder and it was almost like a healing hand. I mean, he had a hand the size of a Smithfield ham. I remember when he would hug me as a young man and pray with me in the altar and it meant the world. But the last time I saw him, I saw what anger was. He had lost his taste for happiness because he dwelled on it. But now if you deny it, then it will grow and grow until it's like those 25 bombs that that guy set off in his apartment and blew the place up. Eventually, you're going to spew. As a youth pastor, I used to take a Coca-Cola sometime and I'd shake it up. And I'd say, this is what anger is like. If you keep repressing it, repressing it, repressing it, and I'd pull the top. Of course, we had plastic everywhere and all the kids loved it. You know, it's just, you know, it spewed everywhere. Well, that's what happens Churches have been split, marriages have been split, homes have been split, and we've allowed the anger of certain people on the news and social media and politicians to feed that anger in us. But sometimes as Christians, oh, I'm not angry, I'm just hurt. Oh, I'm not angry, I'm just, I'm just disappointed. I will never forget when Dr. Richard Dobbins was still alive, that headed up and began Emerge Ministries out of Akron, Ohio. And he was doing a pastoral counseling class that my wife and I took together in Texas. And he said to us, he said, never forget when somebody tells you they're hurt, they're really angry. When somebody tells you they're disappointed, they're really angry. And it's because Christians have a tendency to deny that we're angry. So don't dwell on it. But don't deny it. That way you can deal with it. Now, how does God heal us? Very quickly. God heals us, number one, when we admit it. God heals us when we admit it. You just, you know, admit it. I'm angry. And that doesn't mean you dislike somebody. That doesn't mean you just, you know. Now, be smart. If I came home tonight and, or any night because I value my life and I didn't like the meal I'm not going to be dumb enough to say, this makes me angry. I may not like it, and I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to go to bed with a smile on my face. You know, you just admit it about the things that really matter. Listen, listen, look at this. Slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. I wish I had a deep voice because I think that would just make people listen so much more. Slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. Doesn't that sound more godly? You know, just that deep voice. But a quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. By the way, tell my wife that was in the Bible tonight. <laughs> Slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. So number one, admit you've been hurt. Number two, hold the person accountable that hurt you. You don't deserve to be treated this way. 
You know, if, a, if your child treats you disrespectfully, hold that child accountable. If your husband treats you disrespectfully, hold them accountable. You don't deserve to be treated that way. And sometimes we all make mistakes and we all have to apologize. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 18. And these are all in the app. I'm not, I put several in here to help you see something. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 32 Whoever is slow to anger. In Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger. Don't be afraid to be angry, but be slow to be angry. Admit it. Secondly, analyze it. What made you angry? What really is behind your anger? Notice this. When I say analyze, I'm talking about talk to yourself. Don't say, I'll do to him just what he did to me. I'll get even with him. Now, what's he doing? He's telling the guy, talk to yourself. Don't say. That's what he's literally saying. He says, talk to yourself. Sometimes I have to say to myself, Denny, let's deal with this. I set myself down and I work it through. It's what I meant when I told you that sometimes when I'm angry about something, it may be a day or two before I, re- I don't walk around with a chip on my shoulder. I, you know, I, I don't do any of that stuff, but I will work through it so that I can handle it in a positive, in a constructive, in a Christ-honoring way. So what do you do? When you analyze what's made you angry and how the person is hurt, you're going to hold them accountable, how they've hurt you. Remember that God has forgiven you of so much a greater sin, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've done. I've talked to rape victims. I've talked to victims who've lost family members to murder. I could go on. How did you forgive? How did you work through this? So you can talk to yourself, remind yourself of how God forgives you, and then forgive others even as you've been forgiven. Now, there is some question, and I understand it. There is some question, can I really forgive somebody that hasn't asked for my forgiveness? And my answer is simply this. When they were nailing Jesus to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What was Jesus doing? He was letting go of his pain. He was letting go of his judgment. Follow, this is important. Christ was taking upon himself the anger of sinners like you and me. The Romans were angry at him. The Jews were angry at him. The high priests were angry at him. The devil was angry at him. And Jesus took all that anger upon himself and let it go and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, one thief didn't ask for forgiveness, but the other thief did. The thief that didn't ask for forgiveness, it was available, but he died in his sin. The thief that did ask for forgiveness, crucified on the other side of Christ, Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late. And if you can remember, this is key. This is, this is why I'm going just a bit longer. God took upon himself our unrighteous anger so that we could learn how to respond slowly to things that should make us angry, not allowing the devil to have a foothold in our life giving no place to the devil, but accomplishing the purposes of God. God bless those who work for the end of abortion. God bless those who work for the salvation of homes and marriages. God bless those who rescue others from sex trafficking. It's, I could go on down that list, but do you see what I'm saying? This is very important. You say, how do I do that? 
I just got to give it to you from the King James because this is what I memorized growing up. Jeremiah 45, 5. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Now, I know that there's much more modern translations, but somehow another speaking King James English helps me really repent. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Pray that prayer over and over. Transform it. And this is where I'm going to wrap up tonight. Transform it. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, sometimes my day gets away from me. And, um, you know, this has been one of those busy days. And, and um, last night was a short night. I uh, just, you know, and I felt that edginess that comes without a lack of sleep. Sleep's your friend. Sleep's one of the best gifts that God has given to us. And so I've had a full day today, and uh, the day can get away from you. And it's easy for me. I'm just, you know, again, confessing what I deal with sometimes. It's easy for me to feel edgy and to, you know, things aren't going the right way. And I have to remember my tone, my verbal, you know, my nonverbals and my verbals and transform what I'm thinking. And the way I do that for myself is I remind myself I want to, and, you know, and I'm not trying to sound holy, but it really is, if those of you who know me, it's really my desire. I want to live a life that is Christ-honoring. And I want to consider the domino effect that if I live my life the way I should, then Christ, God, this is what the Bible says, God leads us in a sweet victory parade and we carry the fragrance of Christ with us, the sweetness of his presence. And friends, I want that more than anything else in my life. And I want that for you as well. Let me share one final story with you and we'll pray tonight. He was always in trouble at school. So when the parents of the junior high boy, and we've got some teachers in here tonight, um, maybe you can chime in on this in our discussion time later. He was always in trouble at school, so when the parents of the junior high boy received one more call to come in and meet with his teacher and the principal, they knew what was coming, or so they thought. The teacher sat down with the boy's father and said, thanks for coming. I wanted you to hear what I have to say. The father crossed his arms and waiting, thinking what his defense would be this time. And the teacher proceeded to go down a list of 10 things, 10 positive things this junior high troublemaker was doing now. When she finished, the father gruffly said, and what else? Let's hear the bad things. And the teacher said, that's all I wanted to say. That's all I wanted to say. And that night when the father got home, he repeated the conversation to his son and not surprisingly, almost overnight, the troublemaker's attitude and behavior changed dramatically, all because a teacher looked past the negatives. Pastor Peter Lord shared that at a Jesus 78 gathering in Orlando, Florida that I took my youth group to many years ago. And I learned the value then of learning to make those positive affirmations Catch kids doing something right. So, let me ask you a question. This is in your notes as well. Do you want consternation in your life, or do you want the compassion of Christ? Do you want to be frustrated? Do you want to be angry? Or do you want to be able to meet the things that make us angry with a slow attitude to anger so that we can deal with compassion? And if it's possible, and if it's profitable, 
meet with someone in a safe place. It's not always profitable and it's not always possible. But if you really, if you seek counsel, like from your pastor or your small group leader, and it's possible and profitable, you know, let me just give an example. Sometimes somebody will remember some sin they did back before they were married with somebody else says, you know, I think I really need to go to them. I said, no, 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 no. That, that just recently came to me. I said, no, they're married. They're building a life. You don't mess up their life. That was before Christ. Leave it right there. Sometimes it's not profitable because the other person is not ready to receive yet. So you just continue to pray. So you learn to deal with compassion. But if you do, this is the most important point I'm going to make. Script it. Write it down. Think through what you want to say. Because if you will take your pencil, it will sharpen your thoughts. And I know that sounds old school, but use your pencil, not your word processor or your computer or your iPad. Take your pencil and sit there thoughtfully and write it out. So you think through and pray through every point that you want to talk about without blaming the other person. You can hold them accountable without blaming them. And if you invite God into that process and you're an angry person, God will begin the process of healing you and delivering you. And listen, listen, and you will begin the process of kicking the devil out of your life with a foothold or the ground that he's gained in your life. You should be saying, come on, victory. You can kick him out of your family and your affairs if you put Christ first in your life. Let's stand together and I'm going to read this verse of scripture. But I say to you who are listening now, that's you and me, I say to you who are listening now to me, in order to heed, make it a practice to love your enemies, treat well, do good to, act nobly toward those who detest you and pursue you with hatred. Invoke blessings upon and pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Implore God's blessings, favor upon those who abuse you, who revile, reproach, disparage, and high-handedly misuse you. Make that a habit of living. 40% of life is all about habits. And once you have a habit, it makes life a lot simpler because you're not having to think of how to do it. Make this passage a habit in your life. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for how you have blessed us with the gospel. We thank you for how you've forgiven us of our sins. And Lord, I thank you that you've delivered us from the power of destructive anger and you help us to discover the positive power of godly anger. So Lord, I pray that you will help us to admit. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to analyze and I pray that you'll help us to transform and create some new habits in our life. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you so much. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, like and share, like and share. I can't say that enough. This is a message I think others need to hear, and I'll do part two of this in the coming weeks. God bless.